You're listening to sermons from Crossroads Community Church. You can find out more information about Crossroads by visiting our website at crossroads.cc or by visiting us on Sunday mornings at 1420 Lakeside Drive in Yorktown, Virginia. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. All right, lots of good things going on, huh? That's cool. So let's go ahead and dismiss our kids. Uh, the small group leaders are here in the back waiting on you so you guys can head over there. Lots of great things happening here at Crossroads. Um, the guy that was on the video and the very last guy, uh, Jacob, he's, this was his first week of putting the video announcements together. So I thought he did a great job doing that. So if you see Jacob around, Jacob Disher is his name, not Jacob that plays the guitar, leads worship, but Jacob Disher. Tell him uh, that he did a great job with that. Um, one thing that's not on the video announcements that I want you to know is that we are going to uh, do baptism next weekend. So if you would like to take that step of faith and be baptized next weekend is the perfect time for you to do that. Uh, you can go on the app or website and sign up for it. Just let us know or stop by guest services this morning and let us know you want to do that. And I want to thank you guys for um, for uh, you know just supporting our staff and elders as they led over the last couple of weeks while my wife and I were away celebrating our 25th anniversary. Uh, we had a good time away. Uh, I appreciate Paul speaking, and uh, I gave him two really easy messages in the book of Proverbs to talk about, and I held on to two of them for myself. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what next week is yet, because you might not come, but then uh, today we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about sex, okay? Uh, we're going to talk about Proverbs and God's wisdom when, uh, when, when he talks about sex, and so I just want to let you know that uh, if you've got little ones in the room and you want to take them to kids' ministry, it's wide open. But at the same time, um, they're, they're hearing about it anyway, right? They're hearing about it in the dugout. They're hearing about it uh, at school, on the school bus. They're hearing about it in the classrooms. Uh, so what better place for them to hear about it than at church with our Bibles open? So let's, let's talk about sex today. By the way, I'm the expert in sex, in case you didn't know. Uh, my wife and I have sex almost every day, um, almost on Mondays, almost on Tuesdays, almost on Wednesdays, almost on Thursdays. I could go on and on. <laughs> That's one of my favorite jokes. I get to say that joke in premarital counseling every time. It's so fun. Um, also, uh, here, here's another joke. Uh, I gotta try, I'm trying to keep it light because we're going to really hit it hard here in just a few minutes. But um, there was a, a young girl that was talking to her grandmother, and she asked her grandmother, she said, Grandma, um, how old are you? And uh, she said, you don't, you don't ever ask a lady how old she is. And she goes, well, I know that you're 80, and you're born in 1942. Okay. Then she says, well, well, Grandma, how much do you weigh? Well, you never ask a lady how much she weighs. Well, Grandma, I know that you weigh 162 pounds. I know you do. How do you know this? Grandma says, how do you know? She said, well, I went in your purse and I found your wallet and then I saw your driver's license. And not only do I know how much you weigh and how old you are, but I know you got an F in sex. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, you guys ready to jump in on this? Proverbs chapter 7, we're going to be talking about, about sex. If you haven't read the book of Proverbs, and many of you are, uh, it's certainly a topic that you can't avoid if you do a sermon series on Proverbs. You have to talk about it. And one of the things that we struggle with naturally is, is boundaries. It's just the way it is. As, as human beings, we struggle with boundaries. 
Um, you know, we, we pick up on boundaries in life and we're okay with it. We know that when you're driving, like you, you drive to the right of the double yellow lines. We understand that. When you're, when you're boating, we understand the boundaries of that. You know, it's, boating is best when seated properly and staying away from low water, right? Following the boundary markers. Flying, flying is pretty cool in the confines of a plane. Not so cool when you, when you catch a friend, which I've done before. I caught a friend falling off of a roof uh, by one arm as we were roofing that roof together. Proverbs says everything in life has a, a wise way and a foolish way. It has a, a right way and a wrong way. Um, it has boundaries, and I think we're okay with all of that in our lives except for one major area, maybe two, which we'll talk about next week, but one for sure, and that's human sexuality. When it comes to human sexuality, uh, we have a hard time accepting the yellow lines, the, the boundaries in the water, or the confines of the plane. And before you squirm too much, and the silence factor is obviously uh, high in the room right now, Let's just acknowledge together that none of us get this right completely. None of us follow God's wisdom on sexuality perfectly. Can we just all agree? That includes myself. And so we, we start today on, on level ground uh, because all of us need grace and truth in this area. And that's my goal today. My goal today is to, to be like Jesus and to be a person of grace and truth. So to extend grace in places where we've blown it, and all of us have, but also to speak truth because it's important for us to do that as well. Many will tell you that, um, that the Bible has a negative view of sex, and that's completely not true. Uh, the Bible gives wide open waters inside of the marriage, and if you ever want proof, just read the book of Proverbs or even slide into the book of Song of Solomon for a little bit. Uh, let's read Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. If you think that the Bible has a negative view of sex, just pick up this one verse, Proverbs 5, 18, and then into 19. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. I hope you can't get fired for reading the Bible in church. The Bible actually isn't down on sex. The Bible... Bible sex is actually better sex. It's not just a physical act. It's, it's spiritual, it's, it's physical, it's mental. Uh, it's, it's the body, soul, mind, and spirit all together, which is way better than the full body handshake that the world promotes, okay? It's better. God designed it to bring two people together, man and woman, together as one, and it's powerful, and it's mysterious, and it's uh, it's far better than what the world gives it credit for. So as you read Proverbs, you see two paths. We're going to look at those two paths together this morning. Proverbs chapter 7 uh, talks about this foolish path that we can find ourselves in. Um, and then it leads us into the wise path as well. It starts in Proverbs 7 with a, a father talking to his son. Let's look in verse 1. It says, My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. So 
He's saying to his son, son, please listen to me. Take the wisdom that I'm getting ready to share with you. Keep it, guard it like the apple of your eye, bind it to your fingers, write it on your heart, become a relative with these words of wisdom. Please, son, he's saying, I, I, if you will grab a hold of this, you will live. If you don't, you'll be seduced by the world and the attractiveness of what we're calling fool, fool's gold, which is what the series is called. And then he begins the story in verse 6. He says, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. And so we see this, this young man beginning on a path that will lead him to a place where he shouldn't be. And a lot of times we you know, when it comes to human sexuality or sexual sin, we end up here and we say, I don't know how I got here. Or one thing led to another, which is kind of true, but I got here. Well, what, what Solomon is saying in Proverbs is that there were multiple steps that were taken along the path to get you to here. So you followed along this foolish path and then it led you to this place. You didn't just wake up and find yourself here there were at least seven different things that happened on this path. Let's look at them together. Number one is being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Amen? Ever been there before? Being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So verses 6 through 9 say that the sun was setting, and uh, this teacher is kind of admiring the sunset, and it says he looks down and he sees a young man. It says, I saw, in verse 7, among the simple I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense, okay? Uh, that sounds really strong, but it really just means that he was naive. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was going down the street uh, in the direction of her home, it says, at, at twilight, as the day was fading at the dark night. Uh, so he's looking through this window. He sees this young man. He says this young man is a, a, you know, has no sense. He's simple. He's He's naive. He's wandering around in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, is it a sin to go down to the hotel bar late at night by yourself? The answer to that is no. But the proverb says, if you do that, then you're acting simple or as if you have no sense. Simple is not a sin. Senseless is not a sin. But it's still the first path along this path of foolishness that will eventually or could eventually lead to trouble. Wise people think about potential pitfalls. Foolish people skip right into the hole. Wise people protect their character and the character of others. Wise people recognize that they're not perfect, and so they, they mitigate risks by setting up accountability and processes and systems so that they don't get to that ledge that we can all get to. I've, I've set up many of these things, or my wife and I have set up many of these things in our own marriage, and I often get made fun of because of them, and I'm okay with that. Uh, Heather and I share a Facebook account. It mitigates risk for, for both of us. Uh, at one point, I was getting messages from a woman that was uh, a little too friendly with me, uh, maybe even a little obsessed, and uh, so I added Heather to my Facebook account, and that ended all of those messages, Okay. Um, we use an app that shows our location. It shares our location with, uh, with each other. Why? Well, it's accountability for us. We know each other's passwords. We know each other's, uh, how to get on each other's computers, how to get on each other's phones. 
how to get into each other's accounts. And some say that's dumb, you know? You don't trust each other. Actually, we, we really do trust each other. We're just being wise and not foolish. Uh, she gets a report during the week of my online presence and searches. Some people will say, well, that's ridiculous. Wiser people than me have fallen. Wiser people than me have fallen. Wrong place, wrong time. That's the first step here on this path that Solomon is talking about. Then there's the second look, number two, the second look. Verse 10 says, Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. So she doesn't, she's she's not a prostitute. She doesn't prostitute herself. She's just dressed attractively. The the eye is caught here. Uh, It's going to happen, right? Single, it's going to happen. Married, it's going to happen. There's no sin with an eye catch, right? Like that just happens. You see someone walk in front of you, you see something on TV. And, and in those moments, I've just, I have just taught myself to say, wow, okay, thank you, God. You are a good creator. And then I move on, okay? <laughs> I move on because it's the second look. You can't avoid the first look. That happens. It's the second look that always gets us in, in trouble. Um, Visual beauty is a powerful thing, you know, and that's why we see the rise of pornography. That's why we see the rise of OnlyFans or Instagram models. I mean, church, we've got to get wiser here. I had a man come to me recently on an men's retreat that said, you know, I, uh, I see, you know, I, I feel like I walk around the grocery store like this because there's so many beautiful women in the, in the stores. And I say, you don't need to do that. It's not, the, it's not the first look that gets you in trouble. You look, you say, oh, I mean, catches your eye. You think, thank you, God. I mean, just because you, just because you have a favorite beach doesn't mean that you don't see the beauty in other beaches, right? But it's, it's the second look that's going to get you into trouble. We've got to get wiser here. Uh, we've got to put, uh, parents, we've got to put, we've got to lock things down, Okay. If your child has a phone and it's wide open with no restrictions, that's a dangerous place for your child to be. And a lot of times we think, well, not my kid. (laughs) Every parent thinks not my kid, okay? I'm telling you, you've got to lock it up. It's the second look. Cleared histories say something. So set up those kinds of boundaries. If you don't, you stay on this foolish path. Then there's the desired chemistry, number three. Verse 10 says, then out came the woman to meet him dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. So the woman comes out targeting him with sexual desires. Chemistry is going to happen. One person gives attention to another. They receive it. They enjoy it. Uh, Today, this happens more and more on social media. It happens more and more through text message. Uh, That chemistry happens and it grabs a hold of us. It grabs a hold of us. And it's not just a, a lingering touch anymore. It becomes a uh, a throat grab, right? Because we, we feel the attention from somebody, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but if you're married, you have to walk away from that. If you find yourself walking back again because you enjoyed that attention, that, you know, that explosion of testosterone or estrogen or dopamine or serotonin or whatever that happens inside of us, once you, once you feel that and it feels good, uh, you have to recognize that if I continue to go back to that feeling over and over again, then I'm staying on this foolish path that's going to lead to destruction. And then there's the lingering touch, verse 13. She took hold of him, it says, verse 13, she took hold of him and kissed him. 
Now, kissing in ancient Israel was not that big of a deal. It was actually pretty customary. But to take hold of him and to kiss him was a step past the normal. Okay, so there's the lingering touch, the hand on the knee that means more than it's supposed to mean, the hug that's a little bit more, you know, it's uh, the hands on the, are on the back a little bit lower than they should. Um, lingering touch is, is not a sin, but when we're wise, when we're married, it keeps us on that path longer and longer again. Are you guys following me on this path? You can kind of see where it's going as it goes along. Then there's the candlelight dinner, chapter 7, verse 13. She took hold of him and kissed him, and, was, and with a brazen face she said, Today I fulfilled my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I, look for you. I looked for you, and I have found you. So this is what's happening in these verses. They are sitting down together and eating. Uh, they are offering what was known as the fellowship offering, but you can see that there's something deeper going on here. Uh, the fellowship offering was supposed to be done before night. So they would eat the bread before night. And so, you know, they, they join together and they eat this bread together as a fellowship offering. But we see it's very clear that there's more than home baked goods happening here in this story. Okay. Um, there's something romantic happening here. There's this candlelight dinner. And when we're married and we're face, or sitting at a candlelight dinner with somebody that's not our spouse, just remember to look at that candle that's in front of you and realize that you're playing with something that's going to burn you. Okay? Then there's the invitation, verses 15 to 20, the invitation to go to the next level, to step across the, the boundary lines, to enter into the shallow water. Verse 15, so I, I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. That sounds inviting, doesn't it? Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. So there's this promise of this experience, this magical experience. And when you get to this place, it's really hard to hit the brakes. If we would have been wiser in steps one through five, we wouldn't find ourselves at step six. And when we're getting ready to walk into this step, we have to recognize the consequences of what's about to happen if we go through with it. The promise that she gives is that nobody's home. Nobody will find out. My husband's gone. He took a purse full of money. He'll be gone for a long time. No one will ever know. But we all know that that is a lie, right? That is a lie. Our sins always find us out. What happens in the dark is always brought to light. There will be consequences to your faith, to your family, to your own well-being. Uh, at some point down the road, you may get to a place where your kids are now visiting you every other weekend. The lie will eat at you. It will eat at you. It hurts God. It hurts you. It always hurts people around you. There's always a ripple effect when we get to this place. Now, let me talk to singles for a minute in the room. Getting to this place on the table is actually very normal. It's called dating, right? <laughs> but if you're sitting across the table with someone who wants to go to the next level with you um, and is inviting you to go to the next level, then you need to find a different person to sit at a different table with. 
Because if someone's willing to do the hard work on the front side of marriage, I can promise you they'll be willing to do the hard work on the back side of it. I can promise you. So before you go to the next step, stop and think about the consequences because they will come. And then there's the bedroom. This is the last step. Verse 21, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She, did, she, she seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. <laughs> Great. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. Like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. And some of us may be here. Some of us may be here right now with our hearts and our minds. Some of you have been there. You didn't just show up there. Solomon says there are at least six different steps that led to this place. And so this bedroom, uh, the way that they're talking about this bedroom here in verses 21 to 23 is really a metaphor of crossing the yellow lines, whatever it is. It's the, it's the moment that we stubbornly or even foolishly are on the path and stay on the path and we went through with it. We went through with it. And all the pleasure, all the shame, all the hurt, all the consequences, all of the guilt are all wrapped up in this huge ball of mess. And now we're asking, what do we do now? Where do I go from here? But there's another path. And we're going to talk about that much quicker than the first. There's the path of wisdom. And um, how, many of you, uh, how many of you had premarital counseling before you were married? Anybody? Okay, not too many of you. Um, uh, this is one of the things that I like to teach in, in my premarital counseling uh, sessions. And so if you've been in that with me, you've, you've heard this before, but this is the path of wisdom. And uh, these are the, the gifts that God gives us because God's, can we just all agree that God's plan is the best plan and God's way is the best way. And so this is the gift that God gives us when we follow his path. Number one, God's best brings the gift of pleasure. God's best brings the gift of pleasure. So sex was intended for pleasure. It was intended for enjoyment between a man and a woman within marriage. Uh, if you don't believe that, let me remind you of a little book called Song of Solomon, okay? Verses 1 through 3 in chapter 7 of Song of Solomon. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O princess daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hand. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat. I don't know if I would say this to my wife, but <laughs> your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, like, fa like twin fawns of a gazelle. Uh, over in verse um, 6, it says, How beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of a palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. In these verses, there's never any mention of kids. And although they are a blessing, they are never mentioned here. The whole book here is about, the whole, these verses are all about pleasure, enjoying it, having fun, a husband and wife together, married, enjoying it, this gift that God gives us. I'm telling you, God did not create Adam and Eve, and then they went over to the corner and started having sex, and then God's like, what are you doing? Okay, God created it for pleasure. The next thing God created for is God's best brings the gift of children, right? 
the gift of children. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So, so sex, uh, one of the gifts of sex is that it results in another life being conceived. We've got two kids. We love our kids. I'm glad to have kids. They are a blessing. We are parenting adult kids. We are done having kids, okay? <laughs> Unless God does something really crazy, we are done. But children are a blessing, and it's one of the reasons that God gives us this great gift. God's best brings the gift of knowledge. Genesis 4 verse 1 says that Adam lay with his wife and that he knew her. Isn't that an interesting way to say it? There's, there's knowledge, there's intimacy, there's trust that's being built between a husband and a wife that's sacred. You, you trust them, you know them, you love them, you enjoy them in a way that nobody else gets to know them, all right? Their golf buddies don't know them that way. Their friends don't know them that way. This is a way that you know your spouse that, that brings knowledge. Nobody else knows them like you do. God's best brings the gift of protection, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have, a th have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. We could stop there and make a lot of people mad, but don't. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. That's never happened with Heather and I. Uh, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So um, I, I love this idea. I spend quite a bit of time of it, uh, talking about it when we're in premarital counseling. But sex between a husband and a wife protects the marriage. Uh, we often don't think of it that way, but it's protection. And when temptation hits us in the face, and it does every single day, uh, and there's never an excuse for adultery or pornography or flirt flirtation outside of marriage ever, but let's make sure that that's clear. But marriage and sexual intimacy inside of marriage will protect both you and your spouse from temptation. Does that make sense? Um, sex inside of marriage is like the air we breathe. And you don't know how bad you need that air until it's not there. So don't deprive one another. Otherwise, you're going to give the devil an opportunity to do great damage to your marriage. So it serves as a reinforcing bond. And God's best brings the gift of comfort. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. So there's a story in the Bible that probably many of you know, or maybe you're not quite aware of, but in 2 Samuel, David and Bathsheba, who had pretty, uh, pretty tumultuous relationship, their son, uh, their baby son, becomes very sick and in fact, uh, after much prayer and weeping and fasting and crying and laying on the ground and loss of appetite um, for their son, you know, praying for their son's health, the baby ends up dying. And dad and mom are just broken, as you can imagine, if you've ever experienced that. And the Bible says that they comfort each other through intimacy. Uh, there are times where words can't fix it. Do you know what I mean? When you just need to be 
close to somebody, when you just need to be, to, to feel like you're not alone, to feel like you're connected and safe and vulnerable and cared for. God's gift of sex brings that gift of comfort between a husband and a wife. And God's gift, uh, God's best brings the gift of oneness. This is the last one. Verse, chapter 2, verse 24 of Genesis. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And the word in the Hebrew here is akkad, uh, one, and it's the same word that's used in Deuteronomy, and the Jewish people still say it three times a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is, anybody know it? One, okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is, our, the Lord is one. So like God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one, uh, in a similar way, but not completely identical, a husband and a wife enter into a covenant with each other, and they are one. It's true spiritually and emotionally and physically, and it's true practically as well. That's why when you get married, you share one last name, you live in one house, you have one bedroom with one bed, you should be one, united together as one flesh. And so we see in Proverbs the, the path of, of foolishness, and then we, we look at the path of wisdom, and many of us in the room are saying right now, okay, I completely messed that whole thing up. Anybody? <laughs> I completely messed it all up. Um, what do you do now? Probably some people in the room are feeling some, some guilt, some regret, um, maybe you're sitting by somebody right now and you're thinking, I wonder if they're feeling the same way that I am. Maybe you're sitting by your spouse and you're thinking, this is not the path that we took. Now what do we, we do? Maybe a boyfriend and girlfriend are sitting beside each other and you're saying, you know, we're like two rabbits in the spring. We haven't done any of this. Now what do we do? What do we do? Others of you uh, wish you could have your virginity back. Some of you it was taken from you. What do we do in these situations? And um, there's this whole kind of set of emotions. Uh, I'm not holy. I'm not this. I've messed all of this up. I don't feel holy. What do I do now? Uh, and here's what I want you to understand as the worship team comes. Who makes things holy? Who makes things holy? Not you, not me, but God. God and God alone is the one who makes things holy. When, when Christ touches us, things become holy. We don't have the ability to do this ourselves. It's only when we're touched by the power of God that we become holy. None of us have kept this perfectly. But we have a Savior who forgives us and who is willing to make us new right now in this moment. And I don't know what you've done, and I don't know where you've been, you don't know where I've done, and you don't know where I've been, but I know that we have a forgiving Father who loves us, who can make us pure and right in a moment. So it doesn't really matter what you did last night or what's going on in your mind right now. If you'll surrender to God and allow yourself to be touched by Him, He'll make you right right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and what? The new has come. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So if you feel that hope, no matter how dirty something is, or maybe right now, in the presence of Christ, all things can be made new. He has something far better than what the world offers 
if you find yourself on the path of foolishness, step off of it right now. And allow Christ to touch you and make you new. And get on the path of wisdom. And I hope that gives you lots of grace. And I hope that it gives you lots of truth. This is God's plan for us. Can we pray together? Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth. Lord, many of us, uh, all of us in the room, have not quite gotten this right. We've not followed your wisdom here. But Lord, we know that you can make things new. We know that you love us. We know that you died for us. And we know that even now, that the, the heartbeat that we feel, the, the conviction that we feel even now is from you because you love us and you're drawing us back to you. Help us to see that you have a better way. Forgive us for the things that we've done in the past. Help our feet to go on this path of wisdom from this moment forward. The best way. The way that's wide open with tons of freedom. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Crossroads Community Church. If this message was meaningful to your life, please let us know by sending an email to office at crossroads.cc. You can also watch our services live every Sunday at 9.30 and 11 a.m. or visit our campus in Yorktown, Virginia. If you would like to connect with us, fill out our Connect card by the link in our podcast description. We hope you have a blessed week and we can't wait for you to listen again soon.